Hello and welcome to The Bravest Kind, a podcast featuring behind-the-scenes stories of fearless individuals demonstrating bravery and kindness in their everyday lives. I am your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT with the Kirkland Fire Department located just outside of Seattle, Washington. My guest today is Chris Bailey. Chris is a lieutenant with the Kirkland Fire Department and a lead technical rescue instructor for a consortium of fire departments in our region. Chris has a passion for public service, a deep respect for those that mentored him, and a desire to share his knowledge with others. Chris and I discussed the path that led him to a career in the fire service, along with the toll that this career can take, not only on one's own mental health, but the impact on family life as well. We also talk about the early days of the COVID pandemic and what it was like working on the front lines as a first responder in the city that was at the epicenter of the outbreak in the US. As a reminder, or if you weren't aware, Kirkland was the first city in the United States to face known COVID deaths and cases in late February 2020. Chris and I touch upon these early moments as we together, along with other members of the Kirkland Fire Department, handled the pandemic up front as the first first responders doing this in those early days. The Kirkland Fire Department ultimately ended up creating COVID protocols that were followed by other departments around the United States. One note before we get started with today's episode. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and rate The Bravest Kind with Ryan Schaefer on either Apple or Spotify podcasts. Also, if you like this episode and think of someone else who may find this inspiring, please share this with them via social media or text. And if you are a loyal listener of The Bravest Kind, you may know this is the first time on the show that I've interviewed a fellow firefighter, and I hope to interview and collect more firefighter stories in the coming months. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Well, I have with me today, Chris Bailey, a lieutenant with the Kirkland Fire Department and relatively new lieutenant. So first and foremost, congratulations on the promotion, Chris. Yeah, thanks, Rafe. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining me today on The Bravest Kind. Yeah, I'm excited. This will be fun. Yeah, I am too. And I will just say our department is lucky to have you as an officer. So I'm really happy for you personally. And also, uh, it's just great for our department. Well, great. Thanks. Uh, that means a lot coming from you, so I appreciate it. So, Chris, let's talk about your career in the fire service. What drew you to a career as a firefighter? Um, well, first, I, I grew up kind of in somewhat the fire service. My uncle was a firefighter for Seattle. My uh, great uncle, so his uncle was a firefighter for L.A. City. My cousin was a firefighter for L.A. City and still is. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of always been around. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, growing up, we'd take vacations. I grew up in Orange County, right? And so we'd take vacations to Seattle and always go visit Uncle Lou's fire station, you know, at tens or fives or wherever he was at the time. And uh, so it was always around. I always thought about it, but it was never, never, never something I wanted to pursue probably until I was in college and kind of figured out that the nine to five office mm-hmm. job wasn't going to be for me, right? And so after college, I started pursuing it a little bit and um, started going to some fire science classes at a community college down in Orange County and really started enjoying it. And I remember a conversation I had with my uncle. He was retired at the time, but it was like, hey, uncle, do some research and find out how many people took the last uh, Seattle test, right? And he called back a couple of days later and, you know, he started his career in 65 and retired in 97. 
So they basically in 65 were recruiting, right? For people to be firefighters. And, Crazy. Uh, yeah. So he called back a couple of days later and was just blown away. He's like, I can't believe it. 5,000 people took this test. And mm. so literally two months later, I moved up to Seattle and started my pursuit of the fire service career. So you talk about that family lineage uh-huh. and that being a big draw. Was it looking at those family members and, and, and really uh, the respect that you had for them? And was it that you think that drew you or was it a career in public service? What do you think that big draw was, though? Yeah, you know, I think uh, public service and just service in general was always mm-hmm. held to a... Um, my family really respected that, right? Like whether it was a firefighter or a police officer, I just remember growing up, my father, like always saying like, you respect the military, right? You respect the fire service, you respect the police officers. Um, Most of my family was in the military, right? My dad was in the air force. My uncle was in the Navy. We just have a long lineage of people. um, And both your siblings as well. Yeah. My my brother is still in the army right now. Uh, My sister worked for uh, sheriff's department for a while. Right. And so I think growing up and like being instilled by my parents that respect, right. My mom's a teacher, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, it, I think it wasn't far fetched to, to like say we were going to be somewhat either in the military or some sort of service uh, industry, right? Just because yeah. it was, in our eyes, it was such a high standard to reach, right? We respected it. It was very well respected within our family. So yeah. um, even though it wasn't on the forefront of my mind, it was always something that I thought about, like, oh, I could always do that, right? Like my, sure. my parents would respect me for doing that. It's, you know, some one of those yeah. things, right? It's amazing how that does trickle down from generation to generation. I didn't grow up in a family of law enforcement or fire, although my dad was actually a volunteer firefighter, but education was was very big. And both my parents were teachers. Uh, two of my, uh, or both my sisters are currently teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, Bonnie, was a teacher for a yeah. long time. So I know it is funny how, I guess the apple don't fall far from the tree, huh? And how when you grow up in that environment and around that, and especially around uh, public service, be it military uh, a fire, police, what have you, uh, how that does become ingrained. Education for my parents were, was very important, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't necessarily education to take you into a career. Mm-hmm. It was more like education of like, I want you to be a well-rounded individual yeah. and, and yeah. do good things, right? Yep. So I really always appreciated that growing up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think similar in my family, especially like I said, my parents were educators, but I mean, they ran a Montessori school and so much yeah. of the philosophy of that is self-growth and and not necessarily putting you on a track to go to a particular college or a particular career, but uh, just learning for learning's sake and to, and, and, and to be curious about life. And like you said, well-rounded. Yeah, for sure. Chris, what do you think, if any, one of the bigger misconceptions people have about our jobs as firefighters? I I would say, I would say that we know it all, right? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I think, uh, I see this a lot, you know, and I'm sure you have in your career so far where people, people call 911 because they don't know really what else to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think that we necessarily know, know all the answers or know how to fix a situation perfectly. But I think what we have that, you know, might be different from the average 
citizen or average Joe is like we've we've have our training, we have we have our team, right? I mean, I don't know how many calls we've been on where we just bounce ideas off. Each other. I was going to say that that is so huge, isn't it? Having that team environment and like you said, especially when we're on. Well, it could be anything. It could be a rescue situation, a medical call, and. Like, I'm not sure if this is totally the right path. What do you guys think? Or what, yeah. you know, or somebody sees something that the other, that the others don't. And, um, that, that is a huge part of it. People call us and what their, their emergency or their crisis is. Right. And they're, a lot of times they're alone, right? They can't, mm-hmm. they don't have that team aspect and, you know, for us too, right? If we show up in an engine with the three of us and we need more help, we can call and we can now our yeah. team becomes six or nine or whatever, you know? That's right. Um, so I think that perception people might, might have a, might think that we know it all, but we definitely don't. I think we, we work through things. We're human, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think our training, the equipment we learn how to use and, and having experiences, right? Like I have now 15 years worth of experiences to pull from kind of building that Rolodex, right? Yeah, so I think one of the nice things about, you know, with with us seeing multiple calls are the repetitions. And I think this is one of the things that the fire service does very well. And I think one thing that I have always felt very fortunate, but you've got a crew, obviously, with an officer, but then there's usually a couple of uh, senior firefighters as well. And then uh, younger, and by younger, I mean younger based on experience, firefighters that come onto a crew. So when you do start running these calls, it's not as though the decision is solely on you. And as time goes and as you gain experience and as you start seeing all these different calls, it just starts building the confidence level. I mean, I think to where I was early in my career and you know, you're trying to make a decision. Is this person sick or not sick? Does this person need to go to the hospital? What do I do on this particular type of trauma call? And there is a lot of uncertainty, but you do have this crew to rely on. Then and over time, you start going from being that younger, inexperienced firefighter to then moving into being a senior firefighter, or in your case, actually in charge of a crew. And so just naturally, that confidence level grows as you grow with the career. Yeah, totally. I think uh, I call them like little trigger points, right? Like little uh, moments on a call that kind of trigger an experience Mm -hmm. for you that you can pull from and be like, oh, I've seen this before. Whether it was uh, an evolution in a training scenario or an actual call, um, just kind of gives you a better perspective and um, something to pull from to make a good call, right? Make a good Mm -hmm. judgment call. So I'm always amazed too sometimes at like how we go from a training. I can remember doing this training with medics where it was all about the importance of putting on our our gowns and how to protect ourselves from, you know, blood and bodily fluids. And we're literally round tabling this at the station. And then sure enough, we get toned out to this major trauma event where this guy yeah. is completely bleeding out. And like, I'm always blown away by that. I have two instances in the last uh, six months. Like we had the forcible entry block at 26 yeah. that we did. Yeah. And that night me and my crew went down to Bellevue and forced doors for, you know, the, the whole scenario or the whole um, yeah. fire. Right. And so it's like, and then mm-hmm. the other day we had a water rescue refresher on Saturday and then we had that yes. big water rescue call on Sunday. Yeah, no. So I'm yeah, always blown away yeah. by how how much that happens, right? Yeah, so. same. I had gone through the uh, truck academy 
and we mm-hmm. had learned that cut that with the West Coast cut, the five cut on a on a, on a roll up garage yeah. door. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, look, I've cut a roll up garage door one time in my career, and sure enough, <laughs> it was about a week after that class. Perfect, <laughs> and it was money. And then yeah. I remember even somebody coming up and saying, "Like, who cut that door?" That's right. Yeah. I was like, "I had just been through the training." I mean, yeah. oh, I've done this a hundred times. Don't no, worry, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, <laughs> come on, please. Let me know if we need a in house training on this. Yeah, exactly. One of the other things I always think people don't realize is, uh, you know, my wife always has this like saying that like the, the neighbor thinks we're home all the time. Mm. Right. But the Mm. wives and the family thinks we're never home. Right. I think that kind of, you know, and that idea of, yeah, we do have a lot of time off, Mm -hmm. but it's different when you are actually living with a firefighter and they're physically gone from the house, 120 mm-hmm. days out of the year, right? Oh yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're 100%. Anytime I talk to to friends and acquaintances, and I tell them our schedule, and they're just like blown away by it, and like, oh, you guys have the the greatest schedule, and and and, and we do, yeah. But the family bears the brunt of it, and I just interviewed my two kids on Father's Day uh-huh. uh, for my podcast episode last week, and I asked them about me being a firefighter and and what's their favorite part of me being a firefighter and what's their least favorite part. And both of them said, it's how much I'm gone. And it was a little, yeah, yeah, it's their least favorite. And it was funny because it just hearing it from both of them, it, 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 so so young, they already recognize. Yeah. I mean, right. It's not necessarily that it shocked me, but it did take me back a little bit. I was like, Oh man, I, I don't know if I really, recognized how much that impacted both of them. Like you said, at such a young age, because in my mind, I'm like, Oh, I'm dad that's home all the time. And I'm taking you guys to school and picking you up and coaching your sporting events and doing all these things that other dads that work more traditional schedules can't often do. But in their mind, it's just like, yeah, you're gone all the time. Well, I know like we do the uh, 48 96 schedule, right? Mm -hmm. So we're on two days off four days, but my wife calls it a three on three off, right? Cause yeah. that first day home, yeah. I'm usually, even if I didn't run any calls, you're just kind of emotionally drained, right? And yeah. A day to yeah, review. Are, yeah. We are. And I'm, I, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about that here as we go. Some of that, some of that emotional toll and well, not to mention, I think you and I are both active with a lot of uh, training and, and teaching. So also yeah. do a lot outside of our normal shift work as well. Yeah. So Chris, Prior to you being promoted, uh, we were on a crew together uh, pretty much since I was hired nine and a half years ago. So I've had an opportunity to work with you a lot. And we've been on some crazy calls and have had a lot of fun along the way as well. But uh, one of the more crazy things that happened really to all of us Kirkland firefighters is the fact that the COVID uh, pandemic, the outbreak, the epicenter of it just happened to be at the life care center, uh, right smack dab in the heart of Kirkland. I'm curious, what do you most recall about those early days? Yeah, I think, uh, for me, you know, when that, we were on shift, right? I, I wasn't on shift, but it was a shift, which we were shift, on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to be in Portland, uh, at the firemanship conference, driving home, that Friday night, I believe, if I remember right. Um, and I got a call from a coworker, Jesse Martindale, about halfway home, just asking, Hey, did you hear what happened? You know, and just kind of shocked mm-hmm. at what was going on. I think a lot of it was because 
we always hear of like the big earthquake happening or, you know, the big call happening. Um, but you know, you, you train, you, you try to prepare for all this stuff. But then in my mind, I was like, Oh, well, it happened. It's here. Yep. <laughs> here yep. we, here we go. Right. And, um, so, you know, reflecting on that, you know, that 45 minute drive home, just kind of trying to mentally prepare, I think, for what was going to happen and not really realizing that a year and a half later, we're still going to kind of be in this, right? <laughs> that, 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 that is true. You know, it's funny that you say that. I don't know if at the time it was still known that this was going to become as widespread and life altering as it has. It was like, oh my God, here we're, this is happening in Kirkland and this and that, but yet life outside of Kirkland and outside of our department was still relatively normal for those yeah. first couple of weeks. I mean, kids were still going to school, sporting events were happening, all life was still going on. So I think we were, we felt the impact sooner than the rest of the population, not only in King County, but across the entire United States. Well, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this because we had a similar experience with like our kids' school, right? um, That hit Friday night, I was supposed to go, and I think you were as well, to an event for our school that Saturday evening. Mm -hmm. And I remember like calling and kind of like tuning them into the fact like, Hey, I don't know if you, I know you know I'm a firefighter, but I don't know if you are aware that I'm a Kirkland firefighter. Oh yeah. And I just remember like being politely asked like, "Hey, it's probably not in the best interest that you come to this event, right?" <laughs> Cuz everyone was so unaware of what what really was, was happening. It was an odd time being not only a firefighter first responder, but specifically in Kirkland. And yeah, like yeah. you said, I had an event that Saturday night. It was the auction at my kid's school. And like you, I happened to not be on shift the day that the first death was announced at Life Care Center because my wife, Bonnie, was traveling for work. And so I was going to go to this auction by myself and I was going to sit at a table with a, a bunch of other couples. And sometime that day, I just didn't feel like going. This is before there had been any any news. I, I didn't know anything either. I just didn't feel like going to the auction because yeah. uh, I was going to be solo and I was tired. And uh, it's just, I was like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to bag it. And my phone just blew up that night. It was the text messages left and right yeah. of, are you not here because you're in quarantine? <laughs> uh, true or false? You have COVID yeah. and this and that. And I'm like, Nope, just I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. I uh, just didn't feel like going tonight. Uh, but you know, one thing that was really cool. And I remember you and I, because I remember so many people at our department did have to go into quarantine. Like it was crazy amount, the amount of uh, paging out of overtime and getting people to come into work. And yeah. I believe you and I both did work, um, early, uh, overtime on, on one of the next shifts. And it was really cool to see our entire department step up. Yeah. Yeah. Then, no, I agree. I think, um, I remember that Saturday afternoon after kind of, the dust had settled a little bit. Right. And we kind of recognized what was going on. And I, I don't take a lot of overtime. I just personally mm-hmm. don't. Um, but I remember having a conversation with my wife and I think we talked about like the number being 13 people out on quarantine. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, we have a department of 110 guys, right. And guys and girls. And so 13 yeah. is a big number for us. Right. right. Um, 
But I remember like having a conversation of being like, well, if there's any time you're going to go in and help, it's going to be right now. And yeah, yeah, I think you and I that Monday or even maybe Sunday took an overtime. Just, I think we uh, even texted each other. Yeah. If I recall, I kind of remember even texting back and forth, like, Hey, you're going to call in on one of these. And, and we were both like, yeah, 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 yeah let's do it. Let's yeah, get I think you, and, you know, uh, you, you have to help right when you can. And, um, no, I felt an obligation to, to help out at that time. And, um, I agree. I mean, it's the very nature of our job. I mean, yeah. it's the, is the, it, it's the moment like you said, we, we train for moments such as these, whether it's a big rescue or, uh, you know, fire calls and what have you. And then on the medical side, uh, things like this. And, and these are the moments that you sign up for. And it's, it's easy when things are just kind of cruising along and you can get into kind of autopilot. But when you actually have these moments, it was really great to see uh, just about everybody in our department uh, step up and, and rise to the challenge. You know, from what I remember, you know, we have overtime pages constantly, right. And they're going to second page or, mm -hmm. you know, um, all that stuff. And I think it was one of the rare occasions for like a two week period. Every single overtime was filled pretty quickly. It was absolutely. Every, everyone was doing it. Yeah. People everyone was calling out. the need for that at that time. Chris, were you scared at all? during those early stages, just because of the nature of the calls. And we were seeing so many uh, COVID patients. Uh, you and I were both on a CPR call at Life Care Center. Did you have any <laughs> fear? Uh, no, you know, not so much for myself, but I think I feared more mm -hmm. like bringing it home, right? And yeah. affecting my loved ones. Um, yeah. That was always in the back of my head. I think inherently in this job, I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of fear that goes into it. I know we go into kind of some scary situations, but I feel like I always default to my training and the equipment and the PPE that we have that I always feel relatively mm -hmm. safe. Um, but I do, I do remember that CPR call us walking out yeah. of light there being like all, all eight of us or nine of us being like, well, if we're going to yeah. get it, we got it. Right. <laughs> um, but again, it wasn't so much. I remember like calling my wife after that call or that morning. Cause I think it was a late call, right? It was probably two or three in the morning. It was middle of the night. Exactly. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was middle of the night. Yeah. Yep. I remember like calling her in the morning and being like, Hey, here's what happened. Do you want me to go to a hotel for two weeks? You know, um, but never, never really fearing for myself, but just more of like, well, if I get it, what I don't want to give it to, I mean, at the time I had a five-year-old daughter and a 12 year old son yeah. and, you know, I would hate to see them yeah. get sick or my parents lived close. Right. And would hate to give it to them. And so that was really the only fear I had. Same. same. In fact, I can remember my uh, sister-in-law, my, one of my wife's sisters asking me that, like, aren't you scared? I was like, I'm really not, not, not for myself, but I am about potentially bringing it home, bringing yeah. it home to my family, bringing it home to my loved ones, bringing it you know, to, to, to friends, uh, that I'm hanging out with. So certainly that level of fear, but I do think that as crazy as that CPR call was, because that was a time they were so understaffed at life care center. It was, it was so eerie. It was like walking onto a movie set. Do you remember that? I mean, not only I was do. it the middle of the night, but then it was like 
really dim. There was no yeah. lights on. There was, there was only like three people working and two of them were doing CPR on this patient. So it's like the door was open, but nobody was there to walk us to the room. And yeah, they were, should, yeah usually uh, we have some direction and there was, oh, was no, absolutely was no true. direction whatsoever. And but the um, fact like that we said, were all okay after that, I think did give us some, <laughs> <laughs> a little, I do uh, confidence that the PPE and everything we were doing was working. Yeah. A hundred percent. Exactly. Cause I remember like, they changed the bag valve mass shortly after that, right? They put a filter on it. And I just remember like I was bagging the patient. (laughs) I just remember like, well, if this lady has it or this patient has it, I'm just blowing it everywhere. Right. There's, um, but I do remember just this, like, I don't want to say horror film aspect to it, but like walking in and it like, a light flickering in the corner. Yes, kind of thing. It. That's what, that's my memory too. My memory is almost this flickery, yeah, like yeah. lights maybe swaying or something yeah. and almost that kind of like yellowish dim, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Not yeah. a bright light, but just super dim. And, and like the lady at the front desk, like usually they'll walk us, but her just kind of pointing like it's yeah. down there, you know, like, it's um, like that would have been the perfect set for, you know, uh, some kind of zombie, uh, yeah. apocalyptic type of film. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I just, I remember like getting there and kind of, I was on the ladder truck at that time and just kind of being like, well, are we going to do this or are we going to do it? Right. And yeah. all right, yeah. here we go. You know, here we go. What else are we going to do? Yeah. What else are we going to do? Yeah. All right. So talk to me about that. Not necessarily the health aspect, but you also mentioned how your wife said that it's really almost like we do a three on three off schedule rather than a two on four off because that first day is kind of re-entering family life and often tired and on the heels of just seeing some of the things that we see on particular calls. So I'm curious, how do you separate what we see at work and that professional life from your family life? And, and how do you create that separation when you do come home? I think there's obviously calls that I talk about and there's calls that I don't talk about, right. With my, with my wife and my son's getting old enough where he likes to kind of hear the calls Mm -hmm. that we go on. And so, you know, we'll sit down, we're really big on like sitting down to family dinners when I'm home and um, just trying to chatting. And so typically that first night when I get home, it's the first question is like, well, tell me a cool call that you went on. Right. And yeah, so kind of separating the quote unquote cool calls versus the calls that they don't really need to hear about, you know? Um, I think uh, I, I live in Gig Harbor. So I live about an hour away from where I work. So I really take that hour long drive to kind of decompress. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I don't even have the radio on. I just kind of drive home in silent kind of thinking about things, right. Kind of getting my head mm-hmm. straight. Um, obviously being physically active, kind of working off some of that, that stress that we have. Um, I don't know. And I, I, I give a lot of credit to my wife. She's, she's a huge support for me. So when there are times that I need to talk about calls, you know, she's a, a great uh, ear to kind of pull and is a great yeah. listener and kind of gives me some great feedback. And I always feel like if she, she's a little overwhelmed, that's when we start to recommend some counseling. And yeah. so, you know, either I go or we go together, but uh, definitely the counseling aspect has worked a handful of times for me, which has been great. You guys sometimes, will you guys go to a counselor together sometimes, or will you typically go on your own? 
Both. Yeah. 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 We'll do both. Um, I think for us, we've always had the philosophy early on in our marriage that, um, it's okay to ask for help if we need yeah. to talk to someone and talk yeah. through some things and kind of get a different perspective that that's healthy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we've done that early on from our marriage. Um, but then at the same time, if I just need to go to get a tune up and feel better about what things are, things that are happening or have happened, then, uh, then that's what needs to happen. Right. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you have any kind of lingering, um, effects from or compounding, effects from this job or does it tend to be more acute? And by that, I mean like a particular call that happens and it's tough for a little while and then you're okay and bounce back and feel like you're back to your normal self. For me, it's been more acute, right? Um, Where something will hang around for a little bit um, where I, you know, I'll, I'll try to fall asleep and something will pop in my mind and, you know, I'll have to take some time to try to figure it out internally right um you know the for me it's always the little kid calls that get me that kind of linger around a little bit um but then if they don't if they don't go away after a while that's when you know even bobby recognizes my wife hey maybe it's maybe it's a good time to talk to someone right yeah um figure it out figure out what what's going what's really going on what's the root of this right yeah yeah, um, I think that's pretty common. I, I, I feel much the same. I, I feel like it's a, every now and again, you get that particular call or, or a really rough set. And by set, for those of us, you know, we, we call our 48s basically putting two shifts together of full set. And sometimes you just have a, a really brutal set, whether it's calls that we see or getting hammered both nights and, and really difficult um, after that. And that's what I have typically experienced. I do wonder sometimes about the the ongoing effect, you know, in 20, 25, 30 years. Um, and it seems like different guys handle it differently. And, and I think the fact that you go and recognize that, um, you know, and, and, and occasionally go and, and seek help for that is, is huge. And I think more and more people need to do it. And it seems like more and more are, it seems like we're at least in a generation of firefighting where it's becoming more commonplace. And obviously we have uh, peer support and, and other outlets uh, to actually go and share and talk. Yeah. I think it's definitely becoming more uh, accepted that there are underlying issues right amongst us all. Yep. And um, when I say accepted, I mean, it's accepted that we can talk about it a little bit more, right. And not that whole macho, nothing bothers me attitude mm-hmm. right it's like no this this is actually kind of bothering me i need to talk about this and right um i think that that's it's a good thing i think you know we're fortunate to have uh co-workers to to chat about with this stuff and bounce ideas off of and um i think it's it's okay to sit around the kitchen table and talk about this this stuff's bothering me right yeah at least in at least the cruise that i've had it's it's been it's been good to be able to do that. So you're not bringing everything home, right? I agree. And just one more aspect where I think having a crew is so huge Yeah, in, in our job. I yeah. mean, we talked about relying and leaning on a crew for particular calls, but the same with that. And I, I, every crew, well, I've basically, like I said, been on more or less the same crew uh, for my nine years here with Kirkland, but it seems like everyone is willing to go there and be open and talk about a tough call and we'll often do a, just a little informal round table, 
uh, at yeah. the kitchen table and, and talk about it. It's usually at 2 o'clock in the morning when yeah. we get back from a call. Yeah. And, How's everyone you know, feeling after this? Yeah. You're doing okay? Does, do you need to go home? Are you, you know, are you all right with this one? And, and yeah. I think our department does a good job of, I know in the, the last couple of years, we've really been pushing that peer assistance program that mm-hmm. I know that you're a part of, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so, yeah, having, if I don't feel comfortable talking to someone on my own crew or someone that I know really, really closely, right? I can, I have the option to call someone within my department to chat about this stuff, maybe resources I don't know. So yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, Kirkland Fire is doing a good job with that. Agreed. All right, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, as I have said, you were recently promoted to the position of lieutenant. I'm just curious, what has been the biggest adjustment for you going from being a firefighter and one amongst the crew to being the leader of a crew? I think the biggest adjustment was just leaving 27A, right? <laughs> like you said, we've been on the same crew for eight, nine years, right? So yeah. Uh, yeah, we had a good, we, we had a, we had a good run. We had a good run with uh, the same, the same people on that crew for a long time that, yeah. that really all meshed well together. Yeah. On I top think, of that. Uh, and we were lucky because we were at kind of one of the a big house, right? Quotation mm-hmm. marks, big house where we had an engine and a ladder company. So yeah. on any given day, we had six, maybe eight people there. Right. And so it was a fun Fun, fun place to be. Um, so definitely transitioning from that crew to a new crew. Yeah. And, and like, you know, being at 27, you don't, you don't get detailed a lot. So you, for all the people that work in Kirkland, I didn't get to know a lot of people, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, but well, I especially was, being on, especially being on the ladder. Yeah. On the ladder, you ladder definitely don't yeah. get detailed. So um, new faces, new personalities, I would say, I've been very fortunate in my career to work under some pretty good, really, really good officers, um, starting with, you know, Larry Peabody, Bill Henderson, Pat Hund, you know, um, and so getting to learn from those guys, uh, they're all different leadership styles, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But the one common thing that they had once I started talking about promoting and all that was the job is relatively the same, right? The, the calls coming to work, all that, but the, uh, the hardest part's going to be the, uh, administration part, the, yeah. the personnel part. Right. And, uh, it wasn't until I actually got promoted and got my own crew that I definitely started recognizing that. Sure. Like I could run 24 calls in a day and be happy, but then it's that sitting down and having to talk to a, a firefighter mm-hmm. about something or, yeah correct someone on something, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that's a different, different animal. Yeah. That's definitely been the biggest change for me. Yeah, no, I I could see that. And like you said, Matt, we were, we have been so fortunate there on that crew, the crew that you were talking about, uh, 27A to have some really great mentors from, from all those names that you just said. And it's been cool to see then, how much of that has carried over and passed on. I think it was also a crew of a lot of um, uh, just people that wanted to be engaged and involved and, and, and were go-getters. And so it's, it's cool then to see, I think so many people from our crew now taking a lot of leadership roles and I guess a relatively uh, passing of the torch from, from some of those other uh, officers that you just mentioned. Well, I do see you, you, it's pretty evident you, you see these strong leaders within a department and um, even though they might not be focused on 
training their firefighters to be lieutenants or stuff. It just almost is like a natural thing that their leadership style and what they're doing to become leaders in the department just kind of trickles down. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it is pretty amazing to look at our crew and see the officers we had and then see who's getting promoted from, from our crew. Mm -hmm. Right. And who are leaders within the department. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I give a lot of credit to those three guys for that whole thing. Yeah. Well, it becomes like a, yeah, it becomes like a cultural thing. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, the most rewarding part of this job is what? Uh, That's a hard one. Um, You know, uh, instinctively, I want to say helping people, right? Like I love, I think I'm always of service of people. Like we talked about earlier. I think I grew up in a family that, really respected people of service. So I think it's human nature to always want to help people and um, see good outcomes for stuff we go on. Um, That's always really rewarding um, to just kind of see the, the effort that I put into this job, right? Like the training, the, the time, the time away from my family um, actually having an impact on, on patients and the community obviously it's very rewarding. Um, I don't know. I think for me personally, you know, me, I, I, I love training. So I'm involved with the tech rescue stuff. I teach the truck academies. I go outside of the zone and teach whenever I have the opportunity. So, um, it's really rewarding to me to be able to give my knowledge to, to younger firefighters, right? Newer firefighters. Um, Yep. I like that part of yep. the job a lot. Yeah, you do. No, I mean, I, I think for sure. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt you give a lot of yourself. And um, and I think that's a huge part from what I see of you is how invested you are in wanting to build others up too. And and, and not just about bettering yourself, but then about bettering others and, and as a byproduct, bettering the whole department. And I, I think that's very much uh, just your... Uh, nature and but it seems like it's something that you've really grabbed hold of it well i think you know like we talked about the earlier question was you know i I grew up in my fire service career right under larry peabody and bill henderson who basically were this they created the zone one tech rescue right and so uh to be able to follow in their footsteps and um, feel like I have a, an impact on younger firefighters and, um, I don't know, just get them interested in what I'm interested in and, um, stuff like that. I think it's very yeah. rewarding for me, uh, at least personally. It's going to be like the, uh, Bill Belichick coaching tree or something. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. these branches of, you know, back from- <laughs> yeah. we should, we should chalk that out one day. See, <laughs> totally. Larry Peabody has Bill Belichick. Exactly. Yeah. Track that down. Right. So, yeah, it'd be yeah, funny. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. All right. I'm going to shift gears from firefighting here. Okay. Your biggest strength as a father or husband is what? I always like to think, I don't know. I, I would say my presence, right? Like I, I don't know. I always strive I think that's why I train so much, right? I'm always trying to be better. I feel like I, uh, I'm involved in training so much because I feel like if I teach people, I'm always better at my job. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like with my kids, uh, if I'm around and I'm teaching them things, um, 
I'm one, a better parent, but then two, I'm instilling stuff that's important to me onto them. Right. And so whether I'm coaching or, you know, we talk about our schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the fortunate things that we have with our schedule is we're off during the day a lot. So being involved in the classroom for me is huge. I mean, I'm sure you see it right where we're one of the only fathers. Yeah. I get to go to the classroom or yeah. the field trips, right? That's, that's always important to me. So I, I, the strength for me maybe is just having the schedule I have to be involved as much as I am. Right. right. And I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. That's what I always thought for myself too, until I heard my kids response. Yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I should ask them after this conversation. <laughs> You're I never know. around. I, know. I thought I was like, yeah, yeah, this most present dad. And I come to find out I'm never home. Back to your well, earlier comment. Maybe the effort to be present, <laughs> right. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. It's, that's a hard question. It is. You know? yeah, it is. I, yeah. That's why I'm sure. That's why you're the one answering it, and I'm the one asking. I was going to say, I'm sure if you ask my wife or my kids, they have a completely different answer, right? <laughs> For right. sure. Yeah. What do you think your biggest weakness is? I'm an emotional guy, right? So I would have to say probably my emotions, especially, I mean, especially when I come home and I'm tired, right? You tend to kind of be cranky. And so, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I hate to say this, but there are times where you just, you're tired and you're cranky and you, you don't want to go throw the ball around, right? Or you don't want to go, you know, watch gymnastics practice, but, uh, you, you just kind of got to give a good face and go do it. But, um, it's tough sometimes. I don't know. I feel like I wish I could put on that, that happy face a little bit more, I guess. I don't know. 100%. In fact, going back, I, I keep referencing this interview that I did with my kids and it was very enlightening, but Poppy uh-huh. actually did an impersonation of me coming home and being like, yeah, the house isn't clean yeah. enough guys. And it's me, me being in this, like you said, grouchy, grumpy mood. And I think it's also tough because we, because we live in a firehouse with all these people and we, we have daily chores yeah. and tasks. And so there is a rhythm and stuff does get done in a certain way. And then you come home and you kind of expect it For sure. to run that same way. And well, our wives and kids, yeah. they've got their own method of doing things while we're gone to, to get by and, and it, it, as well they should, but it doesn't always mesh the way they're doing things when we're gone. And then all of a sudden we inject our own personalities and own thoughts of how things should be when we get home. And it can kind of create this weird division, especially yeah. for that first day before we can kind of coalesce again. You know, what I always find it's by, it sucks because we're the two on four off. And like I said, that first day or two home often tired and grouchy. And so it's almost not until day three or four that yeah. the whole family's kind of gelling again. And then they just in right time for us to turn around and yeah. be off. No, I completely understand. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, your wife works just like my wife does. Right. And so, um, mm-hmm. they have yeah. their routines when we're gone. And I, I don't think a lot of times I recognize that routine <laughs> and, and I, especially I don't yeah. recognize how yeah. much she's probably doing, or they're all doing by themselves, right? It's, it's hard um, yeah. not to have that yeah. that full team present, right? Like we talked about. Um, so probably another weakness mm-hmm. of mine is I don't give enough appreciation, right? <laughs> like uh, I don't know what I don't yeah. know when I'm at work, right? Yeah, that's well said. So true. Okay. A non-living thing you cannot live without. A non-living thing I cannot live without. 
So I've sent, so uh, to all my guests, I send a list of some prepared questions to let them yeah. kind of think about and, and stew over. And then I always like to throw in some, uh, you know, some off-speed pitches here at the end. So you're getting our parting shots right now. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, I would have to say in the uh, present moment, since it was Father's Day and I got a ton of them, probably peanut M&Ms. <laughs> Uh, i don't know i think my hand is in the peanut m&m jar constantly right do you ever add peanut m&ms to popcorn no i have not Mm, you should try it sometime pretty money Mm -hmm. yeah you know what's funny about that too is uh again we have a coworker cliff alesco who's constantly got that (laughs) I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've just had a hand in that thing all the time. So it, it may, might not even be just right now. It's constantly, I cannot live with peanut M and without peanut M&Ms. Well, one time Cliff actually sacrificed his entire jar of peanut, peanut M&Ms because I think he got so tired of people stealing them. Put his hand, he he like sprinkled a bunch of like cayenne pepper. <laughs> cayenne pepper, in yeah. <laughs> and so when people went to grab a handful, got a little surprise of some... Uh, I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, and then all all of us knew about it. But when people came exactly. to get detailed, twenty seven. Oh, you're hungry? Grab grab some peanut M and M's from Cliff Locker. Yeah, that's too funny. If you were not a firefighter, Chris, you would be doing what for work? You know, I we've had a lot of conversations about this. I really love music. I mean, you and I yeah. and the wives try to go to a concert at least once. Hopefully, two or three times this year since we missed a year, right? Yeah. Um, but I just love music. I could see myself doing something in the music. I'm, I am not musically inclined whatsoever. I think you and I spent a while trying to play the acoustic guitar, yeah. right? For a while. Yeah. Um, many, many a times, many a times in my life I've spent time. <laughs> <laughs> About six months. So you learn a song and then put it down. You're like, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, we constantly have music on in the house. I'm constantly trying to get my kids to play the piano, the acoustic guitar, the drums, um, because I can't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Right. So I'm kind of living through them. Uh, but I could definitely see myself being involved in the music industry on some level, just because of my enjoyment of it. Right. See being a producer. I mean, but, right now I feel like we could both be DJs with these headphones that we have on. That'd be pretty rad. Yeah. Little little nightclub yeah, or something. Absolutely yeah. mixing kind of. Yeah, I'm just coming here post firefighting career. Watch out! Yeah. There you go. Start hitting the clubs of uh, Seattle and Tacoma, bringing our turntables with us. <laughs> yeah, you need one more thing to pursue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Touche. All right, Chris. If you could have a conversation with the 20 year old version of you, what advice would you give yourself? Hmm. God, that's a good one too. I would say stay true to yourself, right? Like I think for so long people told me whether it was in college or high school, you should be doing something else, right? Or you should be doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having a, a girlfriend in high school talking to me about, you know, careers and stuff like that. And I just happened to mention firefighting and she was just kind of like scoffed at it. Right. If you're not happy with who you are, how can you be happy just in general, right. With your life or other people for that matter. Right. If you're always feeling like you're faking it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's well said. And 
I think it took me a while. You know, as as you know, I started a little bit later than most in this career. I was 35 when I got hired. And the reality is, you know, I tested with the Portland Fire Department when I was 23. So I always had an interest in this career. But, you know, here I'd I'd studied uh, uh, business administration in, in, in college and I was working in finance before doing this job. But I always had a pull. But it took me a while just to be comfortable enough with myself and in my own skin to be like, you know what? This is what I want to do, and this is what's going to bring me happiness and bring me fulfillment and 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 uh, and and purpose. And I'm so glad I finally found the courage to go for it because I am so happy in this profession and infinitely happier than I ever was working in finance. Yeah, you know, my again, I'll talk about my wife a little bit, but she's always had this belief of like, uh you you personally can't make other people happy or unhappy right so it's like if you're not doing what kind of makes you happy then that that's going to be on you right mm-hmm. um and so i even think like within our career for example people have their the things that they like to do that they don't like to do don't let that deter you uh from doing what you love to do within this career right like i know people don't like teaching confined space rescue, but I actually really enjoy it, you know? And, uh, if I listened to all the people who, why would you want to even do that? I I might not do it because there's more people opposed to it than there are, you know? And, um, so I don't know. I just, as I get older, it's easier to kind of do, do what I do, what's true to me, do what I love, Mm -hmm. Because really, it doesn't matter what other people think at the end of the day. You know, it's what's making me happy. You're so right. I, I've probably referenced this in a in a podcast before. I don't know, but I've brought it up uh, times throughout my life. But I read this uh, book years back called "The Success Principles" by Jack Canfield, uh-huh. who wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Okay, and he has this little kind of motto that I. It, it's the one thing that really stands out to me from this book, and he called it the eighteen forty sixty rule. And he was Mm -hmm. like, at the age of 18, you really care what other people think about you. Around the age of 40, you (laughs) no longer care what people think about about you. And then around the age of 60, you realize nobody was ever thinking about you anyway. Yeah, uh, (laughs) they were thinking about you earlier on because it affected them. Right, right? exactly. (laughs) And I think we're so caught up in our own head. Most people don't have the energy or the time or the wherewithal to really care because they're they're so tied up in their own lives. Where we're all so wrapped up in our own lives and worried about our own, you know, our own families and our own careers and our own health that we don't have the time and scope to really care. And then the sooner you recognize that, the sooner it frees oneself up to to pursue and be the person they want to be and so many times we put these constraints not for on ourselves but because what we fear other people are going to think or say about it yep exactly oh yep 100 all right chris you are happiest when oh man i think you know when i'm happiest is that thursday friday set ends for us (laughs) and i'm driving home on saturday morning Mm -hmm my kids are old enough to still be asleep mm. most of the time when we get home mm-hmm. and like walking in and just a quiet house that I know I'm just going to sit in, have some coffee and wait till my kids and my wife wake up. My wife's usually up. She's usually up at like five 30, yeah. but 
you know what I mean? Like just yeah. getting home and having that calmness yeah. and knowing that I've got nothing going on today, but hanging out with the family. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is nice. So, it is nice. There is yeah. something nice about getting off shift on a weekend when there's not the chaos of the week and getting off yeah. to school and, and the and drive is easy. Comes, yeah. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's not a lot going on and it's just, you put your, you put your time in, you've done your shift, yeah. you're, 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 you're coming home, uh, healthy and well. And, and yeah, yeah it is, a, that is a good feeling. I agree. I know I've got two days off on the weekend, yeah. so the kids aren't going back to school. Yeah. So that's typically, I really enjoy getting off shift Saturday morning. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. You have to do something you're scared to do. What's your process of quieting that fear and proceeding anyways? Uh, For me, I always, you know, like I talked about earlier, I am really big on training and like building that muscle memory. So for me, I try to imagine or do every scenario I can imagine, right? So that when I get to a certain situation that might scare me, I can kind of go back to that Rolodex and pull from it and not be so fearful or at least maybe have a plan, Mm -hmm. not a perfect plan, but at least a plan to get rolling on something, whether it's at home or at work or whatever. But um, yeah, for me, it's really knowledge, I guess, right? Mm to just put it into one simple word. Absolutely. Um, so I learned this from my wife to just have that, uh, constant curiosity for knowledge where, uh, I always want to learn. I always want to do things so that when I do come across that situation, I hopefully can pull from something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And feel right? prepared. It calms, calms me down, you know, all that exactly feel prepared. So. Hey, final question. What does being brave mean to Chris Bailey? Being brave to me is just doing, I don't know, probably doing or saying things that might be uncomfortable, Hmm. but you're still willing to be able to do it, whether or not you're, I don't know. I mean, you and I, we're in a, people think that our profession's very brave, Um, but I even think on a, on a more global scale, being able to, to speak up for something that you feel might not be appropriate, right? (laughs) At the grocery store. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned that one of our good friends, he has a great story of, uh, some guy was hassling the 16 year old gal at a convenience store for not, for asking him to put his mask on. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was brave enough in that moment to speak up for that 16 year old girl. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think to me being brave is just doing what's right. Yeah. You know, being able to do that Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. Not always the easy thing, but the right thing. Not always the easy thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. But uh, that's bravery to me. Chris, I thank you very much for your time. I thank you very much for your service. And like I said at the start of this show, our department is lucky to have you. And uh, congrats again on your recent promotion. And thanks for joining me today. Well, Shafe, I really appreciate the kind words. Uh, It's been an awesome run for nine years working with you. I've gotten the opportunity and pleasure to work with you and know you on a personal level. So, uh, 
really love you like a brother and thanks for having me on thanks buddy i love you too and let's go give both of our wives the proper appreciation that they are owed (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely so all right my man thanks much we'll talk to you soon And that's a wrap on this episode of The Bravest Kind with your host, Ryan Schaefer. Be sure to check out my website, ryanschaefer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R.com for more podcast episodes and information happening in my world. Also, don't forget to subscribe to The Bravest Kind podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please take a moment to leave us a rating for the show. We'll be back at it with a new guest next week. Until then, be brave and be kind in your own lives. (laughs) 